Hey, I am so thankful that you all are here. Thank you, Huckleberry. Uh, thankful that you all are here this morning. I'm super excited about the message and the opportunity to uh, worship the Lord together. And uh, you maybe, uh, just real quick, for those of you who walked in late and were kind of wondering um, if Michael had aged, he has not, in fact. Uh, Michael, Michael's really uh, sick right now, and so total last minute, uh, we were able to get our aces out of the bullpen and, and uh, get Pastor Bruce and Sarah and do a wonderful time just worshiping the Lord through the hymns. It took me straight back to when I was a kid worshiping, and I never knew, where, I don't know where Pastor Bruce is, that that's what air meant when it was before. I just always sang that song, and so, which is a great reminder to us that context is important, right? So, um, I don't know if you, you did, I, there's no, it's almost impossible that you have never heard the saying, it is what it is, right? It is, what I, in, in fact, it has been used so much that I absolutely hate that phrase, okay? I got an amen, all right. But it is what it is, and, and it kind of reminds me of the story of Morris and Esther, and uh, Morris and Esther would often go to the state fair, and uh, every year they would go to the state fair, Morris would say to Esther, Esther, I want to ride on that helicopter. And Esther would say, Morris, you know, it's $50. And $50 is $50. And he would trudge away, disappointed and sad, and, and he would... He would, you know, come back year after year. And then one year, he finally said, Esther, I'm 85 years old and I want to ride on that plane or on that helicopter. I may not have another chance. And Esther looked at Morris and said, Morris, you know it's $50. And $50 is $50. Well, the pilot overheard Morris and Esther talking. And he walked over and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll work you a deal. I will allow you guys to ride on my helicopter. And if you don't say a single word the entire time you're in the helicopter, I'll let you ride for free. But if you say one word, just one word, I'll charge you $50 each. And old Morris was excited. They said, they said, deal. So they got inside the helicopter and that helicopter pilot, man, he went ballistic just trying, not just trying to get him to talk, but getting him to throw up. You know what I'm talking about, right? And he's doing all these maneuvers and all of these tricks and the whole time, not a single word. And he's doing everything he can. And finally he gives up, sets the helicopter down on the ground. And he turns to Morris. And he says, I, I, I got to admit to you, I'm impressed. I thought I could get you to talk, but I just couldn't do it. Way to go. And Morris said, well, you almost broke me. I almost said something when Esther fell out, but... $50 is $50. Well, it is what it is, right? But when it comes to Acts, when it comes to the book of Acts, there's no way it is what it is. You have no idea when the Holy Spirit enters the scene, things change, right? That's the whole dynamic. When the Spirit of God comes into play, everything changes. There is no it is what it is. Because the Spirit of God changes everything. Now, now, I want you to know that as excited as I am about this, this journey through Acts has been so incredible for me. I've been so excited about it. 
And one of the things that I have loved and that I miss is that right here in the front row usually is our youth group. And you guys aren't here this week, and I miss you. I love when you guys sit up here. I just want you to know that. Now, that being said, our journey through Acts, we've been talking and studying and doing some different things and, and focusing today, we're going to focus on a couple of the verses of the nine verses that we talked about last week. In fact, we're going to focus on one verse, okay? And this verse, I believe, has significant impact on who we are as a church and as individuals. But before we jump into those verses, let's just go before the Lord, okay? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that when you, Holy Spirit, come into play, everything changes. And Lord, my earnest desire, and I've, been, I, I've connected with our staff and with our elders, we, Holy Spirit, we want to see you move. We want to see you change lives. We want to see people come to know you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, we want to see you do miracles in healings. Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. And so today as we talk about these couple of verses, would you speak to our hearts and help us to see what we need to do to continue to grow to be more like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. So I know this is becoming an ingrained theme, but the fact of the matter is that, that our foundation as Jesus followers, is built on this next statement. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you might know where I'm going, but it's this, okay? Everything. Everybody say everything. 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 And I mean everything. everything rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? If it didn't happen, if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, then Jesus was just a good teacher, if Jesus didn't rise again, then he was just a good person who lived a good life. But if Jesus did rise again, which I do believe is supported by history, Jesus rose again, then he is who he said he is. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, the one person in the three persons of the trinity which we talked about a couple weeks ago god the father god the son and god the holy spirit and god the son took on flesh and came to earth was fully god and fully man and lived this life in a way to show you and me that while we can have life through him and through his blood we also can live like him through the power of the holy spirit and that's what this series is all about the unleashing of the holy spirit of god and the unleashing of the church. And God's unleashing in you. And so, this morning we continue this, uh, this series and look at a couple of verses. But before we do, I I've mentioned a few times how it is, it is recognized. And there are very few of any scholars who deny the fact that Luke, a doctor that Paul mentions a couple of different times, Luke wrote the book of Luke. But Luke also wrote the book of Acts. They aren't two separate books. They are two volumes of one work. They, a lot of scholars just simply call it Luke-Acts. And so there are bridges between Luke and Acts that help us to see that they are part of one work. 
And here's where we see this happen. In Luke chapter 24, it says, Jesus told them. And remember, Luke is, is uh, the book of Luke is the biography of what Jesus said and did here on earth. It is the biography of Jesus' life. And so it says, Jesus told them, this is what is written. And this is at the end of Luke, Luke 24. It's at the end of the book before we move into Acts. Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Now, I want you to pay attention to the specific words, okay? And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is Jesus at the end of, of the book of Luke before he, he goes to heaven. Now, we jump into the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is, is the second volume of this individual work that Luke is writing. And what we see now is the time when Jesus has, has resurrected. Because remember, everything, and I mean everything, rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, This is the time after Jesus has resurrected. Scripture tells us he spent 40 days showing himself uh, uh, to his disciples. And he said this to them in Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a natural bridge there that Luke gives us between Luke and Acts, okay? To the ends of the earth or to all nations. And so we see that bridge there. And we're going to take a moment and we're going we're gonna to back up just a little bit, okay? And, and we're going to look at what it says right before that verse, verse 8, okay? Because Jesus resurrected. He came, as I said, he was hanging out for about 40 days after he resurrected, meeting up with disciples, showing himself to different people. Scripture says that over 500 people saw Jesus. And in those times, that is a large amount of people. So we know it wasn't historically, if it was like one or two people, we would just simply say, come on, you made that story up, Right? But 300, 400, 500 people who report seeing in the flesh Jesus Christ and seeing him in a way, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that, that, that it, was, it was undeniable that it was Jesus Christ in the flesh. He wasn't a ghost. He sat there and he ate with them. And so for those 40 days, Jesus is talking, sharing, doing some different things. And one of the things that he continuously talks about is the kingdom of God. He continues to talk about the kingdom of God, which makes the disciples ask the question in Acts chapter 1. It says that they gathered around Jesus, his followers, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay? And, and Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but... Now, we're going to stop there for just a second, okay? Because we're going to gather some information that's going to help us out in today's message. Remember, I talked about this last week. The kingdom of God and the nation of Israel are intimately intertwined. For the Jews, they, they believe that they're almost synonymous, the kingdom of God and the nation of Israel. Because the, the people of Israel believed that they are God's chosen people, and because they are God's chosen people, they believed that they had special privileges. 
And they believed that they were guaranteed global dominion, which they were not. They were not guaranteed that. The truth is that while they had times in their history that they experienced independence, quite often they found themselves enslaved to different countries. You can probably name some of them. They were enslaved to Egypt, to Babylon, to Persia, and now they're under the thumb of the Romans. Okay, And in spite of this, the people of Israel always viewed the kingdom of God through a political lens, not a spiritual and eternal lens. So this sets up the contrast for us. They say, Lord, is this now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? And Jesus is not for you to know that. It's not for you to know the times or the dates. The father is set by his own authority. But, and I love that, okay? Because Jesus is basically saying, I, I know you want to know these things. I know you want to know the end game. I know you want to know what happens down the line, right? We, we want to know. We want to know what happens at the end of the movie. And Jesus says, that's not your business. That's not your business. I can't tell you that. But, but what I can tell you is greater than anything you could fathom. What I'm going to tell you, what I can tell you, what the Father is allowing me to share with you is more than you need. What you are going to get, what I can tell you is what you're going to get from my Father that he has promised to you all along. And it's way better and more helpful for what you are here to do. See, in the Old Testament... There are over 8,000 promises that God has made. In the Old Testament, there are over 8,000 promises that God has made. And the promise that Jesus is talking about here is the promise. Jesus says, I'm going to reveal to you the promise. The Father is going to give you what he has promised all of these thousands of years you are going to be the recipients of the promise and they have no idea they don't get it okay and jesus says this in fact he refers to it in luke chapter 24 he says i'm going to send you what my father has promised remember this is in luke this is jesus talking before before uh acts I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay? What my father has promised. Foreshadowing in Luke. What's going to happen in Acts. And he says, you will be clothed, you will be clothed with power from on high. And then what happens in Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the holy spirit when the promise think about all those all those thousands of years between before jesus showed up on the scene the two things that they were promised was the messiah and the power and they had seen the messiah and now they were going to receive the power it was the promise that god the father had been making for thousands of years and they were about to receive it and Jesus finishes his command. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's important that we understand what this phrase witnesses means. Witnesses. See, when Jesus says this, he's performing what is known as a remez. Remez. Everybody say remez. Remez. A remez was, was a tool that rabbis would use when they were speaking to people out on the countryside or, or in the synagogue or whatever. And a remez is a word or a phrase that they would use or say that would automatically send the people who were listening to the rabbi speak. They would immediately go back to an Old Testament story. They would immediately be sent back to that phrase or that word in the Old Testament to complete the understanding of what the rabbi was saying. It's kind of like for us when we, when we look at this. Certain things that we may say, all right? May the force be with you. What do we think of? We automatically think of Star Wars, right? Or, or when somebody says, hey, with great power comes great responsibility. What do we think of? Spider-Man, right? Or, or if somebody says, you can't handle the truth. What do we think of, right? All right, we think of a few good men. That's remez. A simple word or a statement that sends us back to something else to help clarify what we're talking about. And so when Jesus talks about this and he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, they would have automatically gone back to the Old Testament prophets, specifically Isaiah. Isaiah said, Isaiah wrote, Isaiah wrote, you are my witnesses declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. You're my witnesses. He goes on to say in verse 12, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. What does Jesus say? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You are my witnesses that I am am God. Disciples would surely be making the connection here. Next one's my favorite one, though. I love this one. It says, you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. I love that. Our God is the original rock, all right? He is the rock, all right? And he says, you're my witnesses. And so time and again, as Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, they would have gone back to this. And it's an understanding that Jesus is once again making the proclamation that I am God and you are my witness and you are to take this message to a world that desperately needs salvation. Okay? Now they understood that in the same way that the Old Testament prophets understood. And as they shared with the people of Israel when, they, when God said through the prophets and through Isaiah, you are my witnesses because they had seen God move time and again. And Jesus' disciples looked at it and they understood that in this moment, Jesus was calling them to duty. They were the new witnesses. All of those prophets and all of those Old Testament people had to listen to a prophet talk for God. The disciples had heard God and seen God and seen what he did. And they were the witnesses to God. Whew, that's big news right there. 
And they understood that now, now, they were fulfilling what the Old Testament prophets wrote about in what Jesus had called them to do. They were the new witnesses. Now, here's a little side note for you, okay? The Greek word for witness is martis, martis, okay? And that word martis means witness, but it also means martyr. You will be my witnesses. And for many of them who stood there that day, as Jesus talked to them, that second one was very true. You will be my martyrs. Think about it. Every single disciple of Jesus, of the original 12, every single disciple is a martyr, except two. One, Judas the betrayer, who took his own life, and the other one was John. Now, it wasn't for a lack of effort on Rome's part. They just could not kill the guy, okay? I mean, they went so far as dipping him in boiling oil seven times and exiling him to an island. They couldn't kill the guy. But outside of those two, every single one of Jesus' disciples would be a martis, a witness and a martyr. And Jesus is saying, you have to believe you have to believe in what you believe so much that you're not just willing to share it, but you're willing to die for it. But you're willing to die for it. And now Jesus was commanding them to move out, to take this good news on a global scale, to take the good news out into the world. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we read Acts, we see this exact progression take place. And we'll see it, that it goes from Jerusalem, spreads out into Judea and Samaria, and then boom, goes to the end of the earth via Rome, which is where Paul would end up sharing the good news. And from Rome, it would go out to the rest of the world. And here's the thing, okay? Luke loves to cite Isaiah. Luke cites Isaiah 18 different times in Luke and Acts. And that helps us to maybe get a little bit better understanding when he writes this, when he quotes Isaiah or when Isaiah writes, I will also make you a light for the Gentile that my salvation may reach to the ends of of the earth. Again, Ramez, as Jesus talks, that they will be sent back to this, that you will be a light to the Gentiles, that you will take my message of salvation to reach the ends of the earth. And it's important for us to understand what it means to the ends of the earth. It's very important for us to understand this, that for Jesus' followers as Jews, they always believed that to the ends of the earth meant to Jews who were expatriates in other parts of the world they believed that because they were god's chosen that the salvation was for jews and for those who, who who would move into judaism but the fact of the matter is that's not what god meant at all the fact is that god's plan always was and always will be for all of humanity 
God's plan always was and always will be for all of humanity. It wasn't just for Jews. It wasn't just for people of Middle Eastern descent. It wasn't just for men. It wasn't just, it was for all of us. And from the beginning, when you read throughout the Old Testament, God is continuously reaching out to all of humanity. Which allows me to say this. If you haven't heard anything I've said this morning, and if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. God loves you. God loves you passionately. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why the good news is such good news. That we have life, overflowing life, as Jesus said it. Forever and ever for those who trust in Jesus. In fact, God loves the person sitting next to you. God loves your neighbor. God loves your ornery old Uncle Cletus. All right? God loves, you know, loves the person who sits in the cubicle next to you. He loves the person who, who sits, you know, at the desk next to you. He, he loves your family. He loves your neighbors. You know what? God loves the people you love. And check this out. God loves the people you despise. God loves us all. God loves every one of us. God loves us. We are all God's creation, and he loves us all. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that Jesus said that the impact of this movement, while going global, was going to start at home. It's, he, he literally says, in Jerusalem... Judea, but in Jerusalem, specifically starting in Jerusalem, because it was going to start at home. And it's important for us to understand today. For Lighthouse Community Church, our goal is to take the gospel message global. But my friends, it starts right here. It starts right here with us. Okay, we have to latch on to that gospel message of love. We have to latch on to that good news. We have to have that fire of the Holy Spirit in our belly that is going to cause us to move out with that good news message. And then it fires off everywhere we are. Because here's the thing. As a church, we can make a difference. As a church, we can make a difference. Okay, and you can see map of Kalamazoo, you can see we can make a difference but here's where it gets wildly better is that when you and i move out when we understand that this is not the only place that this message is supposed to take place that the message doesn't reside in this building at 4321 south 11th street but it resides right here that's what jesus said and it resides in vessels jars of clay as scripture says and when we take that message out it begins to change what the map looks like. And it begins to change the effectiveness of the message, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it moves out from here to there. Into the community that we live in. So how do we start? How do we start this? It's a great question because this is where it gets real. 
there are two ways that it starts today, and they both can be seen in the book of Acts. The first way I'm going to talk about briefly, and we're going to spend more time talking about it in the future. And that first way is known, known, excuse me, known as oikos. Oikos. Oikos is the Greek word for household. Okay? Oikos is the Greek word for household. And, and it's a term that is used repeatedly in the New Testament. In fact, there's a great story in Acts chapter 16, and we'll get to that, and that Paul and his companions were traveling, and they came into this one city, and, and they went down on the Sabbath day, they went down to the river, because they thought that there would be a group of people that were praying there, and they went down there, and there was a group of women working there, and they began to talk about Jesus to this group of people who were there. And it says, uh, talking about Lydia, who was one of the people who heard the message and accepted Jesus, says when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She accepted that word of Jesus right there by the river. And it says when she and her household. Now here's the interesting thing about that word oikos. When you and I think of household, I think of Sean and I think of Maddie and Connor and Alex and Tori. But oikos in the New Testament Greek literally meant something so much bigger than that. A person who was part of the oikos could be grandparents who are living at the house, children who are living there, but it's so much broader than that. It could be the members of the guild or the union that that person was a part of. It all, the household meant the slaves that were part of the house that, that, that this person lived in. It was a broader term, a broader term. It meant aunts and uncles, cousins, friends, neighbors. That's what the oikos was. And I really do believe that this is important for us today. Because we begin to see the relationships that God has blessed in us. We begin to understand that God has called us to, to be aware of our oikos. And it, it's not just the people in our house. It's for sure that. Because I know that there are some of you who, who don't have members who are followers of Jesus and your hearts are broken for them and you're praying for them, earnestly desiring that they would know Jesus. But it includes your, your fellow neighbors, your fellow students, your co-workers. It includes the people in your sphere of influence. And that that person may have been put there specifically for you to begin to reveal Jesus to them. And that's why this card is so important. My circle of seven. It should have been on your chair. Can you grab that real quick and look at it? Because your circle of seven are the people in your oikos. They're the people that keep coming to mind when I talk about things like this. They're the people that every time you see them, there's something in you that goes, man, I don't know what it is, but I want to talk to them. It, it may even be someone you don't even care to be around. It may be, you know, your boss. It may be a fellow student. I don't know. But it's that person who every time you see them, there's kind of a flutter there. And, and I'm not talking an attractional flutter. I'm talking about the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, is doing something in you. And you write that name down. For some of you, we've handed this card out before, and you've already written that down. You've written names down. 
And maybe this is just a renewal of you going, yep, that person is still on my card. And maybe God's going to bring new people to your mind. And maybe for some of you, you're looking at it going, I've never done this before. But yeah, yeah, there is. My son, my daughter, my neighbor, God keeps putting them on my mind. I don't know why I lay in bed and I end up praying for him or whatever. Or that student who sits in the desk next to mine and they keep irritating me. But for some reason, my heart's heavy for them. That's your oikos. And we're going to talk more about that, but I want to encourage you that you would begin to pray and say, God, who are the people that you're trying to connect me with who need to know you? Who are the people who I can just by a mere act of generosity, maybe helping them with their homework, maybe it's making a meal for them when they're sick, maybe it's, it's helping them fix their car, maybe I don't know what it is, but just by simple acts of kindness begins to open the door. When they're sick or something's going on, just saying, hey, you know what? I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. Something as simple as that that opens the door to a conversation about Jesus. The second way, the second way is found in family. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I love my family. I love hanging out with my family, okay? And, and I am close to my family. I know some of you don't have that kind of family, but you long for that kind of family. I'm going to tell you this right now. We are stronger when we're with people who care for us. We are stronger and we grow stronger when we're with people who care for us. And that's why Sunday morning service isn't enough. That's why Sunday morning services aren't enough. Because here's the thing that I want you to remember. That circles are greater than rows. And I've shared this before. I shared this in a series that we had called Launch. Circles are greater than rows. I mean, we can do this on Sunday morning. We're going to walk out and I hope and pray that you are challenged in your walk with God. But the fact of the matter is that you will be a stronger follower of Jesus. And we will be a stronger church when we meet together in circles. What are those circles? Those circles for us are community groups. that We used to call them small groups, but we call them community groups today. And I'm going to tell you what, I, I love our community group, the group that Sean and I have an opportunity to share with, okay? I, I love our small group, and we get to pray with each other, and we study together, all right? And, and, we, and the fact of the matter is I'm a better follower of Jesus today because I'm in that community group. I've shared with you that, that there's a group of people who have been working on this act series together with me. And the fact is that I'm stronger and sharper because I have worked together. I've discussed scripture with them. I have a better understanding of God's word because of that time with them. My friends, the time has come for us to put down the cotton candy faith and begin to live in the steak and potatoes. And the steak and potatoes are not easy. It's not fun sometimes. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's painful, but it's that circle that helps you get through. Not the rose, the circle who comes alongside of you and prays for you and meets your needs, who lays hands upon you, that you can bear your soul to. It's the circle. And so today, I want to encourage you. There are a number of you who are already in, involved in community groups, and that's awesome. But there are a lot of you who aren't. And I'm telling you today, and I'm telling you right now, the way that you grow stronger, the way that you receive care more effectively, 
is in a community group. Coming together like this, man, I love worshiping together. But care and growth takes place in a community group. It's where we begin to live out what we talk about on Sunday mornings. So in the back, right back there, is Ashley Egracy, And we've got a table sign up for, for community groups. And here's one of the things that we desperately need. We need community group leaders. We need community group leaders. And I know that some, there are a number of you who are like, oh, I could never do that. I couldn't be, I, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to do that. I wouldn't know how to lead a group. We'll train you. We'll, we'll teach you how to do that. We just need people who are going to come in and step in and facilitate conversations. I know, you look at it and go, but I don't have a degree in Bible. That's okay. There are so many resources out there to connect with. And you don't have to have that degree. And listen to me, you don't have to have all the answers either. Okay? We need community group leaders. People who will simply say, I'll be a facilitator. I, I will help lead this. I will help lead the care and connectedness of this group of people. So can I encourage you today to take that step? I know it's kind of scary for some of you. It's like, ah, I don't need another commitment. You're right, you don't, but you need this one. It may mean that you have to cut off another commitment. You may have to say, hey, I like this. I like being a part of this, but this is more important. Because when the Holy Spirit begins to move, when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene... Everything changes, and you and I have to be prepared for that. And the way we're prepared is in circles, because circles are better than rows. So that's my challenge to you today, that you and I would begin to look and see who God is positioning in our lives, that we can begin to share the love of Jesus with them. And who is it that we can connect with to grow deeper and stronger and be cared for and care for others when it comes to Lighthouse Community Church? That's the challenge. So I've got three questions for you. And I believe, Pastor Bruce, we're going to, are we doing one more song? Okay, you and Sarah, you guys can come up right now. Um, but I've got three questions for you. Ready? The first question is this. Who is God purposely connecting you to? Why do you think that to be the case? Who is God's purpose? And I, I imagine that for a number of you, when I talked about that, there was a name that came in your brain. There was a name, there was a person that automatically jumped up and came to mind for you. Write that name down. And in the coming days, you will begin to pray. There's, there are things that, that you're going to look at on the back of this card. I promise to pray regularly for my circle. I promise to be sensitive to their needs, to be a friend to them, and to be aware of how the Holy Spirit is using me in their lives to share God's love. You need to write that down, okay? But who is God purposely connecting you to? And you pray over this card, and you continue to look and see who God's connecting you to. Number two, why are circles better than rows? I kind of gave you the definition, but I want you to talk about it. I want you to connect with each other about why. And why do you need to join a community group? Why do you need to join? You need to. I know some of you are going, no, I don't need to. I can get everything I need on podcasts, and, and I can watch YouTube videos. And I get, no, no, no. That does not help the personal connection. Now, I can talk to my computer screen, and I often do but it never answers back. 
my computer screen doesn't care for me. Those people on the podcast don't care about me. But the people in my group do. Why do you need to join a community group? And number three, what does the Holy Spirit want to do in you? I didn't really talk about that this morning. That's because I want to jumpstart this next couple of weeks. What does the Holy Spirit want to do in you? That's for you to pray about. For you to begin to say, Holy Spirit, begin doing a work in me. What do you want to do? So would you stand up with me? And we're going to close singing, Great is the Lord. Because everything we've talked about today, we have talked about how great our God is. Okay? That he loves you deeply and intentionally. And that love shouldn't just stay here. It should go out into the world that needs it. Father, thank you for this morning and this opportunity to be in your word. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts. That you would just um, begin to reveal to us what that group of people is that, that we are supposed to connect with. And Father, I pray that we would take serious what it means to be a part of a community group where we can love and care for others and have our needs met. We love you, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.